I think the more I opened up to them about my disorder, my bipolar disorder, the more I felt closer to them. Like I didn't feel like I had to hide anything and I felt like I could actually come to them with my issues rather than um, feeling like I was like constantly dismissed just because I knew they weren't very supportive of mental health. You're listening to the podcast Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome back. Hey guys, before we start the show, I want to talk about a book called American Dreamer, How I Escaped Communist Vietnam and Built a Successful Life in America. It's written by Tim Tran, and it's a memoir about his journey from Vietnam War to CFO of a large American corporation. Tim's journey is about one of determination, of optimism, but also it's going to have you question what it really means to be an American. So if you missed our raffle last month because we did give away a free autograph book, you can still get it on Amazon or check out timtranamericandreamer.com. So May is a special month. It is one of the busiest that we have throughout the year. And it's busy because we get to join other organizations, community leaders, and corporate leaders in celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. This month is especially important given where we are in our country. I see it as an opportunity for our voices to be heard and for all of us to stand together in solidarity and speak up. On May 6, 2021, we held a live event on Facebook where we showcased seven storytellers that were selected from a nationwide open call. Hi everyone, my name is Anthony Wynn, calling from Antioch, California. My name is Bel Tam Tanle, and I am from San Jose, California. Hi everyone, my name is Kyle Nguyen, and I'm from Garden Grove, California. Hi everybody, my name is uh, Leo Nguyen. I'm uh, currently in Washington, D.C., and I am not wearing pants. Hi everyone, I'm Nao Kutsumeta. I currently reside in Greater Seattle, uh, Washington State. What's up everybody? I'm Vin from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hi everyone, I'm Yen, and I call San Diego, California home. Hi, I'm Richard Luong. I am the Director of Institutional Advancement at Rising for Justice and a proud member of the VBP team. Uh, a quick big shout out to all the amazing humans on the VBP team. I'm so honored to work alongside all of you. And I will be your co-host tonight alongside Tracy. It is my honor to share with you a shortened version of that live event through this episode. So first up, we have Kyle Nguyen, who is from Los Angeles, California. Kyle was born and raised in Orange County, California. He is currently a third year sociology major with a minor in Asian American studies at UCLA. He plans to pursue a dual master's in social welfare and public health and hopes to become a child and family social worker in the future. Let's take a look at Kyle's story. Bodies, forged on mountaintops, nurtured by fairies, 
and hardened by dragons. I remember the stories that dad would tell me at night. He would weave tales of deities harnessing the elements in battle. I remember one god in particular being able to freeze an entire tidal wave. Every night, I lay there in awe at his ability to transport me to a world beyond worlds, each one different from the last. I remember anticipating new stories while relishing the repeats and grew up to revere a people to which I was intimately tied by blood, struggle, and loss. Bodies with tan, sun-dried skin wandering the streets of Little Saigon. She used to be a famous singer, Dad told me when I noticed her on our drive back home. She sleeps in the side of the takeout place that I was raised on. I think about her often. I think about her and others like her, especially in a time like this, a time in which their vulnerability is heightened and they become so hyper-visible, yet so unseen. I wonder if she remembers how beautiful she was is. I wonder if her family thinks of her as much as I do. In times like this, I wonder if it is easier to forget than it is to remember. Bodies, ravaged by disease and brutalized by the hands of men. My mind is flooded with news of attacks against us, for a virus that we did not create, for a virus that others prolong. I weep for my brothers and sisters, I weep for our children, for our elders. I weep for new souls who cannot make sense of this violence. And I weep for old souls for whom it only makes sense. I weep and I yearn for the future. Bodies lost in racial purgatory, only to become pawns in this game with no end. Ye, Gao, are you ashamed? What do you feel when you see red and yellow proudly strung up next to a flag that has nothing to be proud of? What do you feel when you see our black and brown brothers and sisters murdered by people who will never see you as one of them? You can hide all you want behind your money, but there will always be things that you cannot afford, things that cost a life, yours or otherwise. Bodies, six feet under, velvet and wood separating them from the same dirt that forms us. For such magical beings, our bodies are so fragile. As difficult as it was to swallow, I came to realize death is truly the greatest of equalizers. Growing up, I was terrified. I was terrified of losing those I loved. I was terrified of dying myself. Now, the only thing that I have to be scared of is not being on the right side of history. Kyle, that was so beautiful. Are you a poet? Like, have you been writing poetry for a long time? Uh, no, actually, um, I like got into creative writing this past fall quarter. I took um, I took an Asian American uh, creative writing class. So it was actually really recent. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so it was actually a really recent like development, I guess. Do you think it's all the stuff that was happening last year that just inspired you to go into creative writing? Um, yeah, I, honestly, like as you could probably hear from the poem, um, I think I, I was definitely inspired by everything that was happening, um, all the current events and stuff, uh, COVID and anti-Asian violence and all that. And I feel like I, I just kind of found a way that I wanted to express myself, um, much like everyone else here. So uh, yeah, 
Wow, no, it is so beautiful. And I'd love for you to just tell the audience a little bit about, um, you know, the, the bodies that you keep repeating throughout the poetry and what that represents. Mm -hmm. um, I think like when I first started writing this poem, um, I guess I'll just backtrack a bit. I feel like definitely in the Vietnamese community and like the Southeast Asian community in general, um, the way we kind of like form memory and, you know, remember and forget, you know, it's like very fragmented. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like a point of inspiration for me. That's why I was, the poem was very chronological and it talked about, it was chronological, but it was also fragmented in that sense, you know? Um, so the bodies that I'm talking about, like I was talking about this unhoused woman that I remembered from my childhood. I was remembering the stories that my dad would tell me uh, when we would go to sleep. Um, you know, about like Vietnamese gods and all of that, and just like this, all of that. Um, and then I brought it to more currently, you know, about anti-Asian violence and, you know, the bodies and the people, our elders that are, you know, being attacked and all of that. So I feel like that was just very, I kind of wanted to convey that, you know, I kind of wanted to convey that there are things that we choose to remember and we choose to forget and like, that's okay, right? And um, you kind of, take with you and you bring what's important with you in your life. Um, and yeah, I also want to uh, shout out really quickly if I can, um, my yes. professor, her name is um, Tu Hung Wing Wa, and she wrote this piece on memory and forgetting um, in the Vietnamese community. I think it's called Between Forking Paths or Through Forking Paths. I really recommend people for um, people to read her work. Um, she's super inspirational, super philosophical, and she's gonna come out with a book too soon so yeah oh thank you so much Kyle and everything that you described it was actually what I got from the poem it was beautiful thank you for sharing our second storyteller tonight is Belle Lay she was born in uh, Saigon Vietnam and raised in San Jose California she currently is pursuing a BFA in drama at the University of North Carolina School of Arts and uh, is her favorite song to sing for karaoke. Let's get into Belle's story. I think every Vietnamese American would agree when I say that living in the States means navigating two very different worlds. That was very frustrating for me because when I was 11, I realized that I was very depressed. I asked my parents if I could go to therapy and they said no, that you're not calm, only crazy people go to therapy and what you're going through, we went through, so you're okay. A couple years pass and I am 17 now and I was just having a lot of trouble wanting to be alive. So I had to sit my parents down and I said, if you want me to be alive, you need to let me go to therapy. So they did. And when I was 19, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. You're usually put on mood stabilizers or SSRIs. I didn't tell them that I was on psychiatrics because I knew they would be so against it. So I accepted that this was gonna be a journey that I had to go on by myself. So I just didn't tell them at all. When I came home for a break, they saw me taking my medication. They told me that they were very disappointed and that they just didn't understand why I was doing this to myself. In that moment, I was like, 
why can't you see that I am trying to make very responsible decisions to take care of myself? It felt like my parents were so against me wanting to stay alive. I just had to be okay with that for a sec. I had to be okay with them being disappointed in me and not approving of how I decided to live my life. I was home for a very, very, very long time this year because of quarantine. Through COVID and quarantine and isolation and things like that, my bipolar disorder was very active and ebbing and flowing while I was at home. And through that, my parents saw how much work, how much maintenance and how much patience it took to deal with my bipolar disorder. One day, my mom came home from work and she gave me this bottle. It's a plastic blue, very simple water bottle, but it is also a pill organizer. And I don't think she knew what was going on in my head at all because this is just, this is what it is and it's convenient and that's why she gave it to me. But to me, this water bottle was her telling me I understand how hard it is and I am ready to support you. And that is just something that I never thought I would get to feel and experience. Um, yeah, so that's my, that's my little story about this water bottle. And thank you so much for listening. Wow, and thank you, Belle, so much for sharing your, your personal story. Mental health is such an important topic to explore, especially with this month, you know, not just being a PI Heritage Month, it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. And the mental health still seems to be a very taboo subject uh, in many communities, including ours. And I guess for those watching who are still navigating that space and finding out ways to get support, uh, what advice do you have? Um, I think the most important thing above everything is um, knowing that what your parents say isn't the truth. Um, and I think recognizing that we probably grew up in very different environments and that definitely affects um, worldviews and uh, point, points of views and things like that. And I think the next step is to absolutely get help, like whatever it is, whoever it is, it's absolutely worth it I am the happiest I have ever been in my life now and like all of that just feels like it's definitely worth it now um I think persevere um know that what you're going through is completely valid and urgent and necessary to work through and is important and above all like the mundane things of life that we are told that we have to do every day um yeah I think that's it just do your thing and go get help and then just be happy. <laughs> Thanks, Belle. I mean, it means so much to me to have heard your story. One, it wasn't a topic we've really touched on in the previous story slam and it wasn't something that was really brought to the table with other submissions. But two, because I know there's so many people in our community out there who have not express themselves the way you ex were able to express yourself. And that's gonna mean so much to them to see your story. In what ways have you found your relationship with your family has changed? And how have you seen shifts in their perceptions around 
issues as it pertains to mental health? I think the more I opened up to them about my disorder, my bipolar disorder, the more I felt closer to them. Like I didn't feel like I had to hide anything and I felt like I could actually come to them with my issues rather than um, feeling like I was like constantly dismissed just because I knew they weren't very supportive of mental health things and things like that. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've never felt closer to my parents and that um, just like trust, I think is so important. And yeah. I, I, I really don't think we need to accept the, um, the huge like difference between our generations. I think it's totally worth it to talk about it and to understand more and to learn more from each other. I know, Belle, I just wanted to say that you're already spurring up so much conversation in the chat. Other people saying they feel the same way or they're also navigating this. Yes, that was part of my plan. (laughs) Yes, I mean, it takes, I know it just must take so much to be able to share something like this uh, that's personal on a public platform like ours. But you're right, you have to because you want to be able to tell other people that they're not alone, right? And so this is something that, Um, you have to face and you do together. And it's just, I really like Richard, I really appreciate you sharing it. And you're like, you're getting other people to also share their experiences. And that's so important. Thank you so much for saying that. That means the world to me. So we're up next is Anthony. Anthony Nguyen is from California. Um, He was born in Honolulu, Hawaii and transplanted to Houston, Texas, and now resides in the Bay Area in California. Although he went on to study computer science and he has been working in the tech industry for over a decade now, his true passion is really in the arts. Let's take a look at Anthony's story. I grew up at an early age thinking that I'd become an artist, a sure dream known to my family and friends. All of this changed when my parents decided to move to the mainland when I was 12. With my parents' failed businesses, We were living very lean those years in a small bedroom that served as both our kitchen and living room. The word suffer came up often from my parents. Get a good job, son, so you don't have to suffer as we did. This was the real world. This became my new reality. I witnessed this firsthand, seeing both my parents working hard trying to put food on the table while sustaining shelter and struggling to pay their credit card bills and piling up debts. I went from being a happy-go-lucky kid from the islands to a money-work-conscious person. Seeing their struggle and constant reminder that I had to do better shifted my interest to a more lucrative and safe career in computer science, which led me to become a software engineer. I remember being late picking up my omnoy and said I lost track of time at work. He looked over at me and said if a man is too busy for his family, then he's either not good at what he does or jokingly has another family to attend to. Fast forward to 2020, I had just attended a friend's funeral in Hawaii, and on the day of my departure, another close friend spoke softly as we embraced and said, don't forget you, be sure to live your life. As much as the world was changing around me, I wasn't fearful of losing my job given the industry that I was in. I knew that things on that front wouldn't change much. What I cared most about my immediate family, my brothers, and my parents. I could only observe from quarantine the lives affected and what some had to do to adapt to change. Given the pandemic craze, I guess I felt a little left out in some ways. So I looked to myself more. I decided to make some changes of my own. I started picking up watercolors again, 
learned to incorporate new software techniques into my process, and put out new works that tickled my soul. Even still, it wasn't enough. I would sit there staring blankly, battling constant creative blocks, and questioning what I was doing all this for. What has all my training led me to? Practice for practice sake? Simply put, what is my mission? The story of my dad's journey here to America prompted me to find a connection. And in searching for that connection, it led me to the Vietnamese boat people community. That's what was missing, a community in my life. All this time, I've been cooped up in my own mind that I forgot about the people who are just like me, needing a place to tell their stories, let them be heard and be shared. We're worth sharing. Our lives are non-fungible. That's where I want to be, a part of witnessing and telling those stories using my creativity and experiences. 2020 has reminded me that you can't expect things to change when you keep trying the same things over and over again. We evolve and adapt over time because we don't stand still as people, especially when it's something we're passionate about. Anthony, a ton of comments about how beautiful your paintings are. So uh, this is another story that I think connects with so many Vietnamese Americans, right? Growing up, seeing our parents struggle, feeling the pressure that we have to pursue a stable job, lucrative, and really, you know, like your, the words of your parents don't suffer the way that they have. Has your parents or your family seen your paintings? Yeah, um, they do. Um, it's almost kind of hard to, to not go noticed um, because uh, I usually produce a lot of volume. Um, and the thing is that they'll have their reactions every year. Um, it's always like, you know, Anthony's doing his painting thing again. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the thing that I notice that really changes every single time is the feedback itself. Um, it seems like uh, it gets better every time. So I think uh, because of that, um, maybe I'm getting better at my craft. Or maybe they're recognizing how talented you are. But so I mean, like, with the, uh, like the affirmation sometimes, uh, you know, it does kind of like, uh, there is a, a hint of despondency. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's like they're, they're unsure what I'm, you know, what, I'm, what am I doing with this, you know? Am I, am I doing this for fun? Or is it like, am I trying to do the whole career thing again? Um, so there's always still that kind of hint. So. Mm -hmm. So tell us about like 2020, because in your story, you were talking about how, you know, things were happening around you and you were kind of cooped up. And I can see also with your um, computer science and technology profession that you're probably in front of the computer for very long hours and you can get carried away in what you're creating. So do you remember that moment where you said, what am I doing? Like, why are not I following my passion more? Yeah, I, um, I did also mention in the video about like uh, my friend's passing that happened as well too, that transpired before the, uh, the COVID situation. Um, and that sort of pushed me a little bit further. Um, it, like going back home to like the, to the islands where I was from in Hawaii uh, kind of just gave me some remembrance of, you know, where I came from. And, uh, and I guess I was like, you know, what would my seven-year-old self do kind of thing, you know? Um, so I guess I was kind of catering to that and uh, it's not like it, it hasn't pushed me before where I've been motivated and inspired before, but I think, um, you know, with the, what transpired over 2020, I think that kind of elevated it a little bit more. And it also uh, fueled my art as well, too. Um, like I said, I picked up on watercolors again, and uh, I think I, I've taken sort of like leaps and bounds with that as well. Um, and just really challenging myself. Is that one of your art pieces behind yeah, you in your uh, virtual background? Yeah, uh, it's a little, it's a leopard. 
Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Anthony, do you see a future where you will be pursuing art full-time at some point? Uh, I sure hope so, with uh, certain terms and conditions, of course. And uh, yeah, um, if I were to do it full-time, it's got to be something that um, that is partly my vision. Um, I mean, you could always work for someone else and, you know, pursue their visions. But like, even with my engineering job as well, too, I also had like sort of an, an itch to work on something else of my own. Um, so there's always been, if I were to do this full time, it has to be something that I, I really am passionate about and interested in. So, yes, yeah. I can already tell you're a creator at heart. Um, well, you've got a lot of people rooting for you, by the way, <laughs> to see you actually pursue this even further. Uh, cool. Thanks so much, Anthony. Yeah, thanks again, Anthony. You did get to have so many comments, both in the Zoom chat and the Facebook chat. Oh, great. Of people. I think you have some patrons. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you got some buyers out there. Cool. We got Vin. Vin's, Vin's got his hand up. He wants, to, <laughs> he wants to make some purchases. We might have an auction later, too. Our third storyteller tonight is Ian Vu. Uh, she told us that she writes for fun, but she teaches for a living. Uh, she holds a PhD in French studies and does research on Vietnamese intellectual history. Her family came to the US through the humanitarian operation uh, and settled in San Diego, California. And she currently resides in New York. Uh, with that, let's uh, take a look at Ian's story. In the past year, when shelter in place meant occupying the same physical and mental space over and over, I had to confront a lot of the outstanding question marks that loomed in my life. Those question marks, if I stared long enough, took form and this is the sense that I have made. Whenever I cried to my mother about my failures, she always comforted me like this. Lúc nào cũng sẽ có người giỏi hơn con, mai hơn con. Nhưng cũng sẽ có người khổ hơn mình, nghèo hơn mình. There will always be someone better off than you. But we have to put it into perspective that there are also those less fortunate. Her philosophy kept me humbled and grateful. But it also permanently skewed the world for me as a spectrum. And the space that we occupied, not the best, but certainly better than most, was a space that I could never fully escape. Not when I left home for college, not as a first-generation Vietnamese American in higher education, and certainly not as an Asian American finding our place in this country. It's a space with expanding walls. Let's call it moderation. There are rules that occupy this space. Do the best you can, but don't stand out. Work hard, but be discreet. Be a model, but remember, you're a minority. These prescriptions cast me the role of forever bystander because speaking out and standing out will disrupt the status quo of fitting in. Dwelling in moderation paled the colors of the world, the feelings that I let myself feel, and the dreams I wanted to achieve. I'm never elated, only ever content. Not devastated, just confused. Couched in virtues of practicality and self-sufficiency, in our world that celebrates exceptionalism, moderation is actually anonymity, insignificance, invisibility. We are forgotten because we're resourceful. But didn't you know we came here with two bare hands? Hai ban dai zheng? White hands, we say, and made something out of nothing? There is no choice but to be creative, and our preoccupation with creation is judged 
by the product of our work. Our lack of complaint misinterpreted for ease. Middle child of America. Standing next to my black and brown brothers and sisters, I dare not ask, what about me? There is a recurring dream I've always had, especially as an adolescent. I'm in a crowd and I'm screaming, screaming at the top of my lungs, but no one hears. I am waving my arms, throwing myself this way and that, but still, no one sees. It's as if I were invisible, unknowable, but in the dark where you can't see, there sits a girl, and in the droning silence, there's a voice. It's me. I'm here. Thank you so much, Ian. That was such um, a powerful and thought-provoking piece. And personally, I've felt so many of the emotions you expressed and asked myself so many of the same questions. Um, something that you did speak about was being a bystander um, and not feeling visible. In what ways do you believe and in, in what steps do you think need to be taken so we can become more seen? Um, I think that's a really good and hard question. I think even for me, I'm constantly uh, questioning this and asking myself how to do this because it requires so much uh, discomfort to speak up and um, especially to speak up on someone else's behalf. And so when we're talking in, in situations where um, it's, you know, you're the one who's being inflicted or hurt, um, that's one thing. But when we're talking about anti-Asian um, violence or any other kind of um, violence against a certain kind of uh, group of, of discrimination, it's really hard to, um, to not look away um, because you think that someone else is, gonna, is going to speak up. And I think that is that goes hand in hand with um, speaking up and telling your own story because you always think, oh, someone else is going to tell the story. Um, and so once if, going back to your question and, and the steps, I think it starts first with learning how to share your story and um, finding the things that you wish to say, whether that's um, something that you think is important or um, whether you think other people will think that that's important. I think finding your own voice um, to tell your narrative is first and foremost uh, important. And then um, once you're able to speak for, for yourself, you can find that you can easily, more easily speak up for others. And I think this is where a lot of uh, Asian Americans um, fall into this category of bystander because, because of that space of moderation that I described, um, we often don't talk about our experiences um, and that makes it hard for us to, you know, step in when it, it calls for our, our action in those political spaces. That's one of the reasons why your story spoke so much to me and it connected across the board with so many of our team members at VBP. Something you also touched on a little bit in your story is that you do teach French at Hamilton College. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your experience in that space and what challenges that you found? Uh, well, there are there are a lot, <laughs> um, and I think I'm I'm able to say that because um, precisely so much thinking that I've been able to do in this past year. Um, but French is, as we know, it's well French at least to a lot of Vietnamese Americans in our generation. It's it's like 
you know, beautiful, it's romantic, it's this really wonderful language to learn. Um, but when you actually enter the space, it's very homogenous. And in academia, um, I'm often the only, uh, well, one of the few persons of color in the department and the only Asian American generally. So when I show up in the classroom, it's very surprising to my students. Um, and I get this question all the time where they're asking me, um, how, how, like, where did you learn French, you know, and, and how long did it take you? Because seeing someone who is not conventionally the person they would think to speak French really makes them think that it's possible for someone to learn French from, um, you know, in, in, at the university level. And um, being Asian American in that space is, is also really difficult because you're trying to put in front your professorial role, the work, the role that you learned, you worked so hard to achieve. You know, I spent six years writing a dissertation, like there are all these years to try to prove myself. And yet it's not the professorial role that a lot of people, not only students see, but it's your Asian American identity. So I think what, um, what, what makes it really hard is how do I balance, you know, this, this goal that I work toward this um, trophy award that, you know, I try to try to achieve, and um, also my identity. And what adds another like twist to that is mm -hmm. how often I have to explain to my family and my friends why I'm in academia, because they're, you know, as an Asian American, why would you choose academia? There's no or very little return on reward, return on investment because you spent all these years and, you know, in terms of pay, it's not very much um, <laughs> and you don't get very much recognition like you work within. There's all of these elements, but so it's you're trying to, you know, describe your identity to your family, trying to justify all that work and also to the space in which you work. So it's a very um, contentious space that I'm still working through. You know, I just have a quick question on your submission, and it's related to what you just described. Um, what was sort of the thought behind uh, sharing your feelings on drawings on a chalkboard? Was that related to your background in teaching? Um, actually, you know, as I was watching, I was like, this is actually very pedagogical. <laughs> um, I definitely, you know, you within three minutes, like, how do I convey my 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 materials in such a way that is effective? So it, there is definitely a, uh, you know, a strategic uh, approach to this in the way that I would do with my teaching. Um, but I hope that I was still able to convey, um, I guess, ideas in an effective way. Um, thank you so much, Yen. So next up, we actually have another teacher in the house. <laughs> We have Vin Wing. Um, he is a 90s kid who loves Jesus. He's happily married to his wife, Stephanie, and together they have three kids, one of which is only two months old. So Vin, I'm sure you're tired and sleep deprived. So thanks for being here tonight. <laughs> um, and I know that has not stopped you from taking moments like this to share I'm with us the Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and to share with your eighth grade students um, that you are teaching in Philadelphia. 
So in addition to being a teacher, Vin also has a side hustle in graphic design. He loves to read books. He eats a lot of candy and he loves watching thrillers. Me too, Vin. I love scary movies. <laughs> Let's take a look at his story. Chaos, what comes to mind? 2020 is the closest thing that I can find because I've had a life that's been kind yet blind to the heartache of a lost country or people maligned. My story of 2020 starts in 1975. It doesn't. Looking back to the past to understand the present because it is who I am. A Vietnamese American puzzle. Doing pieces together last May. 45 years later, dad remembers the day. Torn between life or death, leave or stay. Three moments he had to say yes or no. Three moments to keep his family or go. Three moments that led to me right here. The night of April 29th, people running everywhere like ants. My uncle on a motorbike, he was dad's last chance. Either back home or the black ocean expanse. What will it be, retreat or advance? To the shore he went, found a boat but knew. He made a mistake, gotta go back, this can't be true. But then a radio transmission came through. Come back right now, that's all you have to do. Because if you're captured, we will not have pity on you. Surrender or not, option one or option two. Had to keep going, Saigon was lost, and dad just cried. Everything he had loved, just died. No time to think of that, what to do next, decide. You give up and see, or just get to the other side. It's all dolphin, but no happiness in sight. Two insufferable weeks somehow made it to land all right. Six weeks in Guam, hustling hard each night. Make a new life with happy memories, and just might. 45 years later, and I'm starting to get it. All the sacrifice you made for my life, I'm indebted. 45 years later, and my dad can't forget it. What got made of that chaos, nothing regret it. Chaos, what comes to mind? 2020 is the closest thing that I can find because I've had a life that's been kind yet. Blind to the heartache of a lost country of people maligned. My story of 2020 starts in 1975, or does it? Looking back to the past to understand the present because it is who I am, a Vietnamese American puzzle. Putting pieces together last May when George Floyd wasn't person but pray. All I did was shake my head and say, not okay. Growing up, tried to fit in and make America my place. Hard to admit I couldn't empathize outside my race. This is a black-white conflict. I have no responsibility in this space. And I realized I'm that Asian cop who turned away his face. And I'm sorry. I wanted the rhythm without the blues. Privilege or oppression, I thought I could choose. Now my heart breaks from what's on the news. Seeing black brothers and sisters set up to lose. So I'm reading, listening, increasing my awareness, having hard conversations with people, even my parents, reevaluating my understanding of fairness, feeling myself to speak up against racism and caring. This may will be different, please be patient, you'll see. We're here doing this and adding it to our history. From slavery to civil rights to war refugees, puzzle pieces put together by this country. But we're forever Then you didn't tell us that your other side hustle was rapping. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I might start because I, I did make a, a rap video last year for my kids graduation um, doing a rap, little rap thing. That's amazing. So the lyrics obviously came from you. What about yeah. the music itself? Did you produce it? Well, so actually, I when I, when I heard Story Slam, I thought Poetry Slam. So I was going to write a poem. But then as I like wrote it and like, you know, said it to myself, I was like, I got to put music on this. So I just went on YouTube, found a no copyright song. Um, the artist is Lakey inspired in case you're interested, but um, yeah, so I, I didn't do the music, but I did write the lyrics. It's so good. 
I mean, first of all, I was like, when we first saw this submission, we're like, what? He's a teacher? <laughs> but I guess it kind of <laughs> makes sense. Maybe there's some creative writing in, in you. So tell us about, first of all, let's um, tell us about your teaching. So where do you teach? What grade do you teach? And are your students watching? Yeah. So I teach in Center City, Philadelphia at Independence Charter School. Shout out to my ICS people out there. Um, <laughs> I teach eighth grade. I teach math. Um, but I think like I came into being a teacher because um, a lot of just gifts uh, that I have just lend themselves to being around kids. Like I'm just the big kid. Um, you know, the school's main mission is to make global citizens. And, you know, we've had a really challenging time, you know, because COVID has challenged us to stay connected, you know, even locally, let alone globally. Um, so yeah. it's, it's been challenging. I mean, I'm sure. So it's, you've had to probably teach remote for most of the year last year, right? Yes. Yes. And then you have three kids. So one of which we call COVID, COVID babies, because <laughs> your son's only two months. Okay. So wait, wait. We went green and, and then, you know, then we had our baby. So he's not really a COVID baby, oh. <laughs> like a week after going green. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, just tell us, like, how have you been managing as a teacher having to now teach remote and then being at home with three kids and everyone quarantined together? Like, how's that yeah. so hard? I mean, I mean, I'm grateful that I can be home, you know, um, while, while this baby is here. I, I was able to take off a month to, to be with my wife and, and my baby boy. But, um, you know, I, I just teach in this room and I've had to get used to kids unmuting and, and muting cameras being on and off public and private chatting you know just to communicate um i've picked up some radio dj skills adding music and sound bites to my nice. zoom lessons you know uh, the bit of like youtube teaching you know because you got to teach through a camera um so yeah it's it's been tough and the background to this video actually is is really important to me and that's why i've actually made it the background because you know i taught this year I taught my eighth graders for five months and I never actually met them. Wow. And then um, this video takes place in January where we, we met up with them to give them books and, and other stuff. And I got to meet them for the first time and play catch with them for the first time. And it's, it's honestly one of the most joyful moments of my life to like teach them for so long and then finally meet them. It was, it was crazy. Oh, wow. I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah. Oh, that's so touching. And now is school back? in person for you? Not for me, because um, I teach older kids. Uh, the younger mm -hmm. kids are, are back. Um, but I am thankful to say that in June, we will get to be back in person. Yes. Um, you know, the vaccine is out for, for teenagers now. And we're going to actually take a trip and, and just play all day long. So I'm really excited for that. Oh, that's awesome. And is that your first poem that you wrote or you've written many? Um, I, I don't know. I like, yeah, it's not something I... I guess I have written other raps before, but it's not something that I like do on purpose, but, you know, I definitely love hip hop. And I think that was like a part of it too, you know, like one of the lines in my, my song was, I wanted the rhythm without the blues. And so this is kind of like a, an ode to, to the ways that black culture has, has contributed to, to who I am. Um, but also like, there's so much more than that. And I wanted to be able to tell my dad's story in that way, because I want to be able to pass it on to my kids. And, you know, I, I wanted, 
I wanted it to rhyme. I thought about doing like a kid's book, but I thought this was the perfect platform for that. So, you know, once, once I saw the story slam announced, uh, it just seemed like the perfect time to, to put what I was learning from my dad in the stories with what, you know, everything that happened last May. It's so Um, good. So are they, are your kids watching or are they in bed? Oh, my kids are sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they can watch the replay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing, though. I plan on sharing with them, you know, especially when they're older and I can explain it to them. I'm really excited about that. But I do have students and and, uh, coworkers watching, so I appreciate them a lot. Yay. Well, thank you so much. And I love that you wrapped, um, your submission was a wrap because I feel like we don't have enough Vietnamese rappers out there. (laughs) So it definitely caught our eye. Can I just say, Tracy, Richard, thank you, the whole Vietnamese Vote People team. Um, I just really appreciate what you all are doing, the, the ways that you are volunteering your time to collect these stories. Because, you know, I thought my dad's story was like the only one. That's why I wanted to write a book or something. But the fact that you've all put it together and, and are, continue to do so, it's just a privilege for me to be able to, to add my dad's story and my story to it. Our next storyteller is Naoko Sonoda. Uh, she's a mother of three. And she is the owner of an online specialty tea boutique called Kita Teas. Uh, in her free time, she loves to cook, bake, eat, and run. She is also an advocate for women empowering women. Let's check out Naoko's story now. There's a Japanese saying, Ichigo Ichie, which means one time, one meeting. This idiom describes a cultural concept of treasuring the unrepeatable nature of that moment, that any moment in life cannot be repeated, even if the same people got together again in the same place. Having tea is customary and an everyday ritual in most cultures. It is an opportunity for us to slow down, take a deep inhale, sit down and take a sip as we talk about the day and about life among friends and family. Ichigo Ichie also encompasses the concept of transience, that life is impermanent. From the time we are born until we die, we are given many things, love, pain, memories. People and opportunities come and go, we change, and we are a part of change. 2020 was a difficult year for most of us, and although the isolation and social distancing dimmed the light of even the brightest, Personally, it was a year that marked a transformative trajectory for my life in the present and leading towards the future. Losing a job in January finally gave me an opportunity to start up a tea company that I dreamed of for the past 20 years. I was able to spend quality time with my children and husband for the first time in more than a decade. As a working parent trying to build a thriving career, I didn't have the moment to stop evaluate, rethink, ponder about the meaning of life until it seemed that all of life came to a crashing halt. I started brewing matcha from my adopted country, Japan, and finishing with this beautiful flowery oolong from Songla province in northern Vietnam. 2020 was a year of cathartic experiences of which one of them was being pulled by the universe to find my birth mother. My story is that, or her story, is that she fled Vietnam in 1975 with her seven-year-old daughter by way of Guam to a refugee camp uh, in Arkansas. And it is here that she conceives of me and eventually she would make it to Los Angeles uh, where there was a Vietnamese community. And 
she would make the hard decision to give me up for adoption, of which I was briefly placed into foster care, but I was blessed and privileged to be adopted by Japanese expats who lived in LA, and I've had so many wonderful opportunities uh, growing up. Women all over the world make many sacrifices while their voices are overshadowed. 2020 was a year unlike any other, yet struggles help us arrive at epiphanies, which set us up for a brighter tomorrow. Awesome. Thank you so much, Naoko, for sharing your story. Uh, you had such a way with words. You weaved in so many emotions and thoughts really effortlessly. You mentioned your Vietnamese adopted by Japanese parents. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about your upbringing? And also, I would love to hear more about um, the process of finding your birth mother that you talked about. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, 2020, thank you for all the work that you do, Tracy, the, the people behind the scenes. Um, I know it takes a lot to, and I can't believe this is your side hustle. Um, because of you, I am able to share the story and search you. I mean, thank goodness for the internet for, yeah, thank you. So I forgot all your questions, Richard. Um, yeah, someone asked, do I know my Vietnamese name? So um, yes, when all came crashing down, you know, you're not ready for, for information and things until you're ready. And um, it, it's ironic because apparently I have a birth, um, I have a birth certificate, which was changed to, the names of my adoptive parents, um, but I looked at it even closer and a different document that uh, my social service paperwork um, has stated and it's my, my adopt, excuse me, my birth mother gave me a name and it's me. And, and yes, I do not speak uh, Vietnamese, I'm sorry, so I'm probably butchering that, but um, I asked a Vietnamese sister friend and she said that it actually has two meanings. It means uh, beautiful, but it also means America. So I was just like blown away. I was just blown away and actually um, talked to the cross-cultural Asian references. Meat also means beautiful in Japanese. Oh, wow. So there's, there's in interesting, um, yeah, cross relations there. And Amazing. then my middle name is T, T-H-I, which seems to be a common um, female name. And then my last name is Bui, but as in the bu Bui. <laughs> Anyways, no, so B-U-I. B-U-I. Yes, yes. B-U-I. And then I also did uh, 23andMe because I wasn't sure if I was 100% ethnically Vietnamese. And sure enough, 23andMe says I'm 98% Vietnamese. Uh, but I, I was ad adopted here. I grew up in the suburban uh, New Jersey area where I was probably one of the few Asian families growing up. Uh, but I had this kind of, yet again, privileged um, New England suburb. Uh, and then uh, my father moved, uh, relocated back to Japan. And so all my adolescence, I grew up in Tokyo, which is kind of like New York City, very cosmopolitan. And then I came back for uh, college in the United States. Um, and. Uh, so many cultural references have been made on the Vietnamese Boat People podcast, which also um, exists in kind of generational Japanese heritage as well. Like when you talked about um, growing up in the U.S. and like the, the punishment that you receive with the books on your lap and what have you, that exists in, a, in another generation, the World War II generation of, let's say, Japan. 
Sorry, I forgot you mentioned how is my um, search process going? That was another question. Right. Um, and it hasn't just, I hope this resonates kind of like, um, like Belle shared with her, um, you know, bipolar disorder. That she, I hope that my story, you hear it all the time about um, orphans, um, finding a birth parent, or maybe someone who was in foster care and didn't get, um, picked up by a loving family, what have you, just so I hope um, my shout out to those if if you are someone like that who's listening, um, that love is there and you matter. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so it's actually nascent. The search is nascent, but I hope that this platform will give me an opportunity. Maybe one person will be listening and then could pivot somewhere else. Yeah, no, all it takes is one and you just never know when you're <laughs> gonna make that connection, right? Yes, thank you. Um, and then T is is a it's really just a uh, manifestation of the love that I received from my adoptive maternal grandmother, uh, my adoptive mother, really powerful women. Um, and, and this is also a shout out to my birth mother who didn't have a voice who had to give me up. But it's the choices that women have made who have created, um, enabled me to do my passion work. Thank you so much. Okay, so we're on to our last storyteller, but certainly not least. Um, and I can't believe it. I feel like time has flown by, but we're on number seven. And so let me go ahead and introduce Leo Wing from Washington, D.C. Um, his Vietnamese name is Lau. Um, he is a comedian born, raised in Saigon, Vietnam, and he actually came to the United States when he was 16 through a scholarship to study politics and in a country where he thought was the world's best democracy, only to question that in the 2016 election. <laughs> um, Leo graduated from Augustana College in 2018 with degrees in politics and theater. And in college, he was a two-time winner of the last comic standing. So let's take a look at Leo's story. Xin chào Vietnamese boat people and anyone who is listening. My name is Lao Leo Nguyen. I'm a stand-up comedian in Washington, D.C. A little bit about me, I was born and raised in Saigon where I dreamt to be Vietnam's next progressive dictator. And let's be honest, where and when else is a better place to learn about politics? Of course, in the best democracy in the whole world, and especially after 2016. But that's a story for another time. Today, I would like to share to you my 2020. Wow, where to begin? Well, it started great. I began to do comedy again after a long stretch being off stage. Let's rewind a bit. I graduated college in 2018. And after four years of studying and hustling in a foreign country, working odd jobs, when I got my first big boy job, and most importantly, my first big boy paycheck, man, I ran to Best Buy and bought a TV and a PlayStation. Ah, the American dream. This has been on my mind since I was a little boy playing games at my rich friend's house, thinking one day I would like to get my own. And before I knew it, I fell into a comfortable trap. And two years flew by, 2018, 2019, with me justifying for doing nothing creatively by literally not doing anything but working and playing games. But I've come through. Though it takes me two years to realize that playing games is not bringing me true happiness, who knew? But I did realize. So in 2020, 
I picked myself up, put myself out there, and signed up for a comedy show. Only to realize that if you're a new comedian in a new city, you need to bring three to four people to your show to boost attendance. You know, I get that. I respect that. But I'm an immigrant. Three people I know that will come to my comedy show are in Vietnam. Um, hey, 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 mom. Uh, would you like to uh, apply for a U.S. visa and fly 30 hours to get here to see me? Oh no, I'm not getting married. It's just a comedy show. You realize that? How crazy that sound? But you know what? I made some new friends and I bribed them with some boom real, like a real friend. And I asked them to come to my show, and I was doing great. Show after show, I was getting in my stride and started to get booked. And guess what? God say, that's too easy. And a global pandemic came out of nowhere, and all comedy shows were canceled, even to this day. Hey, sometimes the jokes write itself. And from getting rolling to isolation, from high to low, a true 2020 roller coaster. How about yours? But let me tell you, my 2021 is looking all right. I hope yours too. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, yes, 2021 is definitely looking better. Um, so welcome, Leo. First of all, when did you start comedy or telling jokes or falling in love with making people laugh? Like how young did this start? Yeah, but before I start, I just want to give a shout out to every person before me. I mean, if you're looking for the big finish, this is not it, man. The big finish already happened before, so don't expect much. But uh, yeah, my name is uh, Leo Wing. My Vietnamese name is Lau. And uh, I, you know, I started uh, doing comedy uh, in college when uh, you know, I, I, I go to a very small liberal arts, uh, predominantly white school. So I was thinking, man, nobody's funny in this town. So you know, if I come up and do the comedy show, if three people do it and I'm the best one. I got $500. So, and, and as a, you know, an international student, they have a lot of money back then. So uh, it was, uh, it was a lit night. And uh, that's how I got started into it. You know, it's kind of like a bounty uh, reward type situation. <laughs> but uh, from then, you know, I was like, yeah, this is pretty fun, you know, and I'm making people laugh. So that's, that's why I keep going. That's awesome. And so you came here at 16, right? Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was completely sold by the American dream by watching High School Musical. Um, so I, I thought it was a good idea to move to this country after watching it. You know, this is so great. I could totally be Troy Bolton. Didn't happen. I moved to America. I got placed into a high school in Kansas. I didn't even know where Kansas was. Whew, I mean, I was gonna ask you if that's where you got your twang. I have no idea what is my accent <laughs> because I, you know I I I grew up in Vietnam. My Vietnamese English teacher, God bless them, they can't speak English, so <laughs> so I got to figure out some other way to learn English. So I just you know YouTube, you know stand up comedy. I remember learning English took like fifty cent. I thought he was like a finance professor. I mean he's no way, <laughs> um, but uh, I I have no idea where my accent is. So you know when people told me. Uh, I don't have an accent. Yeah, I do. You just, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of like how it is. So can, we actually, Megan on our team is from Kansas. Oh, I mean, no disrespect to Kansas, but I was coming from Saigon. <laughs> no, it was like popping, and I went to Kansas. And, oh my God, what is this town? I can imagine. <laughs> tell me what your tell me like your first impression, like when you got on the plane leaving Saigon. 
what you imagine the United States would be like, and then you arrived in Kansas. And <laughs> what was that thought? <laughs> I remember vividly the car ride home in my host family. I just looking around like, man, I just moved to Cambodia. <laughs> like, what is this place? <laughs> but you know, the people there was amazing. I, I've learned to love um, the American hospitality in the heartland. You know, they they don't give much, but all they give is their 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 friendliness, their heart. I remember I dropped a wallet and somebody drove it back to my house. You, you know what happened if you drop a wallet in Saigon? It's gone. In less than two seconds, evaporates. So, you know, it just showed me two different worlds and I came to uh, embrace both. Oh, that's great. Well, you're a natural <laughs> funny guy because, and somebody just posted that you need to apply to America's Got Talent. Is that what AGT? stands for i don't know who posted that yes so um we loved watching your submission <laughs> we haven't had a lot of uh comedians and definitely there's not enough vietnamese comedians so um we're rooting for you follow that dream if it's something that you want to do more full-time um and just like a real quick question for you is are there comedians out there that um you look up to or that has inspired you over the years? Yeah, you know, um, like you said, not a lot of uh, Asian comedian uh, out there, but, you know, I really appreciate the OGs who kind of like paved the way, you know, Jimmy O. Yang. Before, you know, I, I was, when I do comedy, I, 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 I want to say this because, you know, before when I started do comedy, it was a lot of cheap Asian joke, just like self destroy you know and just like getting cheap laugh from people and like after like a couple of times doing that I wasn't feeling so good you know why I have to really you know kind of like lower myself down just for some laughs you know that's not that's not worth it um that's a clown I'm a comedian you know it's different <laughs> uh, some comedians are a clown though you know I'm not gonna say anything about that but um um I started doing more kind of like the way that I present myself as like as a kind of like a confidence, but also, you know, um, that that speak uh, truth to power kind of like that's in itself is breaking stereotypes. So I I, I want to be the one that um, go the extra miles and not just uh, cashing out our uh, personality or characteristic or stereotypes for laughs. I want to do some a little bit bigger that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm helping to move the needle of, you know, uh, the media uh, perception on an Asian man and, and what does it mean to be, you know, a modern uh, progressive Asian man as well. So, you know, that's all the things I took in, in my, in my act. And I, I try to tell the story through, through jokes, you know, because people digest better that way. For the true experience of all the stories that were just shared, I encourage you to go to our website and watch the videos that were submitted. Visit vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash 2021 storytellers. And a huge thank you to the VBP team and committee that dedicated countless hours in making this event possible. They are Megan Doe, Matt Young, Trisha Vung, and Sally Nguyen.
I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And please, take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.